Hey, .NET Rocks listeners. So you never went to NDC. I get that. It's Norway. It's Oslo. But did you know that the videos for all the sessions are online? Yeah, go to vimeo.com slash NDC Oslo. You'll see some amazing sessions, and they're all right there. And if you're really curious, you can check out the lineup for NDC 2014, which is happening June 2nd through 6th. NDCOslo.com is the website, but again, if you want to check out the videos, vimeo.com, that's V-I-M-E-O dot com slash NDC Oslo. Richard and I will be there this year. Maybe we'll see you too. .NET Rocks episode 981 with guest Christian Weyer. Recorded Monday, May 12th, 2014. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard. Christian Weyer is here. He'll be here in a minute. Uh, today we're talking about security, but before we get into that, hey Richard, how are you, sir? I am freshly back from Nepal. What can I tell you? I'm a little jet lagged, a little warpy, and uh, but, tech uh, ed yeah, first we, day, right? Yes, yeah. We um, I we flew back from Nepal. I think we started on a Wednesday, got as far as London by Thursday. Actually, got home on Friday, and then Saturday I flew down to Houston for tech ed. You're crazy. Hey, I got a really interesting story that's related to security for Better Know Framework, so roll that funky music. Awesome. All right, what do you got? Did you know, and Chris John, you're waiting in the wings. You can chime in on this, too. Did you know Microsoft pays a bounty for you to find bugs in their operating system in their web browser? Go to tinyurl.com slash bounty. This is a uh, wow. Microsoft bounty programs, and I had no idea this existed. As of last <laughs> year, Microsoft is now offering direct payments, as in cash, in exchange for reporting certain types of vulnerabilities and exploitation techniques. So as of November 2013, I'm reading right off the website here, Microsoft has expanded this participant pool in this mitigation bypass bounty and all of this stuff. Turns out, they'll pay up to $100,000 for truly novel exploitation techniques against protections built into the latest versions of their operating system. They'll pay... This is freaking brilliant, because now the most profitable thing you could do as a security guy, as a, as a black hat, is to give them the patch. Yeah, or, you know, or if you're a hacker, come up with a vulnerability and report it. <laughs> yeah that's the rather than trying to blackmail anyone or any of the other things that black hats could supposedly do right the right. most profitable thing would be to just fit, tell them give them the fix right exactly and then there's a blue hat bonus for defense additionally microsoft will pay up to and this is up to not you know it depends of course at their discretion but they'll pay up to fifty thousand U.S. dollars for defensive ideas that accompany a qualifying mitigation bypass submission. Finally, nice. Internet Explorer 11 preview bug bounty. Microsoft will pay up to $11,000 U.S. for critical vulnerabilities that affect Internet Explorer 11 preview on the latest version of Windows. And, of course, that was limited to July uh, 2013. But that, that program's now closed. But isn't That's that interesting? interesting? Yeah, no, I, I, you can't argue with the thinking. No. And they're Microsoft. They have money. What they don't have is security. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, of course, that, you know, cheap shot. But, you know, everybody, nobody has security, right? You know, they, we have more money than we have security. Let's put it that way. Yeah, but I think it, it's a paradigm thing. It's like the most profitable thing to do is to fix the bug. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and it's worth a hundred grand to them for somebody to report an exploit. For sure, no matter where it comes from, if it's there, if it's out there, then we want to know about it. Here's your money. I Thank love you it very much. All right, uh, that's it. Uh, tinyurl.com/slash/bugbounty. 
And th- this is on MSDN, Microsoft.com, and it's uh, Microsoft Bounty Programs. Richard, who's talking to us today? I grabbed a comment off of show 914, and that's the one we did with Troy Hunt when we were talking about hacking your own website to understand its vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mike Christian wrote this great comment. He says, thanks for your interview with Troy. Addressing simple security interventions may be easy, but it will continue to be overlooked by developers unless brought out into the open. So thanks for doing so. Convincing developers and managers that security of internal line of business applications is just as important, if not more so than the public facing applications, continues to be an ongoing battle ever since my entry into web development back in 1997. Firewalls and DMZ environments certainly protect against external threats, but anybody with a remote sense of security knows that internal risks have greater destructive capabilities. A few examples of this include social engineering, pineapple proxies, sniffers, transmission of malware from portable devices, and curious employees that wonder what that admin equals zero in the URL does. (laughs) Hmm. The movement from client-server applications towards web applications in the name of simplifying deployment and management comes at the cost of added security risk, and these risks cannot be ignored. I implore you, as developers of the world, to insist that internal web applications be handled with scrutiny fit for public-facing apps. At least use SSL and validate self-signed certificates with internal apps. There's token security, which is very affordable, less than $20 a user, and easy to implement. Do anything but send plain text data across your internal network. Yeah. More often than not, the best way to approach management about security is to create a simple bar chart that shows the cost of prevention versus the cost of recovery and have the numbers to back this up. Mm -hmm. Managers and CXOs are trained to be concerned about numbers and funding, so speak their language. A quick demo, just a couple of minutes, that shows how easy it is to infiltrate a system does wonders. Have (laughs) the manager or CXO perform the demo themselves on their own machine, and it's an especially influential take on the destructive force of little Tommy Tables. And he's referring to the XKCD thing. Little Billy Tables or Bobby Tables, yeah, yeah. Little Bobby Tables, yes. (laughs) So, uh, Mike. You're preaching to the choir, man. I'm totally with you. Absolutely. Speak the language of management and show security risks from a cost vulnerability perspective, and you'll get stuff done. So I'm all over that, and I'd l- happy to send you a .NET Rocks mug. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps are built by Diatom Enterprises. We'd love to build you an app. Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. Richard, that reminds me of the story of Paula J., you know, our, our fair-haired Polish friend who, uh, oh, yeah. went, who went to, uh, uh, on a job interview for security and, and she's so demure and so cute. And she says, um, well, I'm waiting. Can I just have internet access to check my email? And they said, sure, here's the Wi-Fi password. And so she went off in the corner and while she was waiting for her interview. And then when it got to her interview, she said, oh, yeah, okay. So uh, I went on your system, and here's all your SQL data. Here's all your administrator <laughs> passwords. Here's your this. Here's your that. <laughs> awesome yeah she well she's here at tech ed and you're exactly right like nobody sees paula coming and then she takes advantage of that it's like yeah you give me access to your network i will get everything you you will be yeah okay well uh before we go any further let me tell you that pluralsight is home to the largest online tech and creative training library on the planet they have Tons and tons and tons of dev, IT, and creative training courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release at least a course a day now and offer a 10-day trial free for 200 minutes and uh, offering over 50 courses on ASP.NET development and several courses dedicated to understanding security, including ADFS2 and WIF 3.5, as well as a new course by Troy Hunt on OSAP Top 10 for 2013. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. And that brings us to our guest, Christian Vire, who you heard there in the background. He is a well-known veteran in designing and implementing distributed applications architectures. With his company, ThinkTexture, he has been focusing on end-to-end aspects of distributed software systems in the past 17 years. 
His toolset includes technologies like Web API, SignalR, and Microsoft Azure. These days, he is rather a friend of lightweight architectures based on Web APIs and push services and focuses on mobile-first applications on various client platforms. Welcome back, Christian. Welcome. Hello, guys. Great to talk to you again. Thank you for having me. Uh, we last spoke in your town. That's true, yeah. Which was uh, a great experience. I came there to interview you for uh, a Microsoft uh, interview. You are an archetypical developer known as really? Salty. <laughs> S-A-U-L-T. Salty, which is sort of... Well, Richard, how you, you sort of helped define these archetypes. How do you describe the character of Saul T? Uh, could drink his own weight in beer. <laughs> oh, wait, that, that's Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's sort of the, the, he's been around a long time. He knows a lot about a lot of things. You know, you don't ask him beginner questions, right? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the salty character is the guy who uh, everyone counts on to get stuff done. He sort of sits in the mm. center of getting the project done. They're not always project leaders, but they're typically the the backbone of getting projects done. They've tried they've changed languages a number of times. They have a real background in thinking about they, they know that in the end it's all just crud apps all the way down. So whatever whatever mm. new toy the young excited guy brings to them it's like can it create re- update delete, you know, get it do the fundamental things that we actually care about then okay. Uh, and I, and that you know brings stability to teams. Yeah, so so you were a natural fit for that character, and and in that interview, which was great, we were in a castle, and uh, the first question I asked you would be the first question I'll ask you today, which is if there's one word you never have to hear again, what would it be? And that's interesting because I cannot remember my answer from uh, <laughs> yeah, well, the other you, day. <laughs> you, you answered it by saying, "Does it have to be a word, or can it be an acronym?" Does that ring a bell? Oh, yes, I think, uh, was it NSA? Yes, NSA, yes. <laughs> okay, yeah. Which is, we so, know, in the United States stands for National Security Ad- Administration or Association. I can't even remember agency. now, but it's National Security something. Yeah. And what do you no, think? Actually, it's not true, I guess. Uh, here in Germany, it stands for no security anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! So but anyway, yeah. Well, this this is we laugh, but the perception of and and I hate to say it, but the perception of American companies has suffered overseas, has it not? Because of then NSA. Yeah, it has, and not just uh, the American companies, but the American government per se, and the trust in doing uh, business with companies and the government, including the entire cloud computing story. Oh, interesting. So how has this manifested itself with you and your customers? Um, Not so much, I guess, uh, for the people that are doing a lot more in-depth security stuff, like Dominic Bayer, he may have had uh, one or the other issues in one or the other discussions at customers. Uh, But for me personally, um, of course, you talk about that problem, right? Mm. Most likely over a beer, uh, but not during uh, the course of a day where you are doing software architecture and software development stuff. But yes, of course, it's a big topic. And yeah, I think, so I think everybody in our business already knew that stuff is happening, but now we have confidence that it is happening. And yeah. But it's not good. Do we know what the reality is, or at least we, do we know what we don't know about how much is going on in terms of uh, Azure snooping by the of NSA? Of course, we don't know, yeah. Of course, we don't know. Yeah. Is this ultimately an excuse that companies are using to not use the cloud? No, uh, especially here in Germany and Central Europe, it's not just the NSA story, this made the situation over or worse, of course. But it's a lot about the trust and that I own the data and it is my data. So it's it's a mental and psychological problem, but actually also a legal one. Because the EU's got very strict data security rules, much more yeah. sophisticated than I think the US has. Yeah, 
That's true. So, I mean, that, does that give you confidence then? There's these laws in place. Isn't that sufficient? Well, uh, the issue is that we are actually not really allowed to put uh, person-related data into, uh, well, into a public data center, and especially not if it is owned by a U.S. corporation, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, why would the U.S. corporation part make a difference? <laughs> well, um, isn't that because the perception of... Uh of of the NSA having its fingers in all of the United States uh, stuff, even though I mean, even though admittedly the where they really have had their fingers is overseas. So I'm not a legal expert and I'm not a lawyer. So usually, if we run into issues or discussions inside our projects, we try to really incorporate a lawyer because. This stuff is so complicated, uh, hmm. and I cannot and I cannot solve it by hitting F five or F nine inside of a compiler. Or uh, so right. <laughs> usually, I do a delegation of these topics to the people who really know their stuff about it. Right, but it, you know, and I'm just thinking in terms of all right. The one of the biggest Azure data centers is in Ireland. So that it means it has to be compliant with EU law. You know, just because it's an American company doesn't mean it's exempt from the laws of the land that it's operating in. Unfortunately, the world is not as easy as we think, especially when it comes to laws, because it's not just about US laws versus EU laws. Then inside of the EU, there are special laws inside of each country, like in Germany, right? right? And even here, uh, the legal situation is not as clear as one would think in the year 2014 because uh, some uh, laws are quite old and do not take into account and respect uh, the ideas of the internet, for example. And that's not a joke. But yeah, maybe let's talk about no. something more interesting for our audience, right? Because we do not want to talk about the NSA and the laws where we are not experts. So maybe let's talk about a topic or topics where we are experts. Coffee. Coffee. <laughs> Beer. <laughs> I, I was going to do Heidelberg laws, yes. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, you mean you're doing a lot of work on the, the cloud side of things. Is there things for folks who are concerned they can be doing? Is there technological solutions here? Um, so that's an interesting point. I used to do a lot of work in the cloud, but uh, because the perception here about the cloud is so is so bad, um, I'm no longer doing a lot of work related to Azure and other cloud platforms. The sad part wow. is, the really, really sad part is, technologically, that's all rock and roll, right? Uh, since the day uh, where Scott Gu took over the Azure um, team, a lot of things have changed positively. So it's the best, well, platform as a service and even IaaS um, cloud platform out there, including tooling and features and services for developers. But yeah, here in Germany, we have a hard time using it and promoting it. We have been trying for years. I have been working with a Microsoft local sub to do um, workshops and trying to do some webcasts and other events. It's really, really, really tough. And it's not just about the legal stuff. It's, it's about several factors, including uh, the fact that in Germany, we have a lot of um, high-class engineering companies who rather think twice or thrice in order to move their data or their services and software out of their own data centers into the cloud. I take it that's a very slow process. It's a very, very slow process, exactly. And that takes time. Um, and it would not mean that if we now had a very, very clear legal situation that all in a sudden, from today to tomorrow, everything would be solved. Mm. This is not the issue, right? It's a very, very slow process. And of course, if you talk to developers and show what's possible with Visual Studio, with the command line tools, with the Azure portal, they say, wow, yeah. that's freaking awesome. Uh, 
pushing a website, including ASP.NET Web API, SignalR, including yeah. scale-out backplane into the cloud, uh, being reachable by thousands yeah. of devices. And I just it just took me two minutes, and I can scale it up and down in seconds. That's, That's awesome. just it's just wow, right? And it really works. Uh, just recently, I talked to a colleague, and he said, "I can't. I really can't imagine what just happened." He was he was debugging a website running inside of Windows Azure locally on his Visual Studio instance, remote debugging, and it just worked. Yep. That that is voodoo when that That's when you do stuff. that like it's unbelievable but that you're communicating. There, then you know reality sets in that uh, just beca because and only because this data is not here on our premises and it's somewhere out of our control, it's impossible to to do. What has yep. what has to happen? Oh, in wait. order. So I think what would make the story a lot better would be to have a rock-solid solution to bridge the gap between on-premises and the cloud. To offer the customers, so the customers usually are ISVs and maybe sometimes enterprise customers, to offer the customers a rock-solid, secure, safe bridge between the on-premises and the cloud world, where, where they can have data sitting on their servers in inside of their firewall in their offices and then still give access to mobile devices. So that's one thing. And this technical solution may not uh, be limited to a public cloud, but maybe it should be runnable and hostable on, a, a, well, on any public kind of server. So having all that cloud technology available in your data center as well? For example, yeah, so I think one small step that Microsoft took with the Windows Azure Pack is is quite a good step into the right direction. Okay. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Azure Pack because I think that's pretty important to all of this. Yeah. Uh, we did a show on on, a, on Azure Pack over on the Run As side. Yeah. Sure. So, Christian, talk to us about Azure, uh, the Windows Azure Pack for Windows Server. Exactly. So the, the basic idea is to have Windows Azure in a box for your company or for an internet service provider, right? So I think originally right. the original idea was to just give the Azure pack out to the ISPs so that they can build a small mini Azure cloud in each and every country on the planet. And now I guess the the license and the EULA has changed so that each and everybody can actually um, run and install it on their premises. And this, of course, makes a lot of the interesting scenarios um, much more feasible because um, you can, if you are a big company, I don't know, like maybe Siemens, yeah, um, you can just have part of the Azure Cloud services um, like the service bus or parts of the service bus, like the IAS um, services from Azure, just running inside of your data center and still use the same tools, the same, the same APIs, the same command line interfaces, the same code. Which is awesome. I mean, have we always wanted this? I want to run my own version of Azure in my data center and then go up to the cloud if I want to go up to the cloud, but keep it local if I want to keep it local. Is it really yeah. that simple? Uh, well, it depends. So that's the consultant's answer, right? Um, Always. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, there are not a lot of services already implemented in the Windows Azure Pack. So only a handful of services. And in order, for example, to have, let's say, uh, the Windows Azure or the Microsoft Azure Service Bus Relay service, if you want to host that yourself, it's not available in the Azure Pack. Only the service bus messaging uh, features uh, is is there. And there are a lot of other things that are just not there. So you cannot have uh, a simple copy of a blob storage service inside of Windows Azure Pack. Uh, you don't have SQL Azure or the Windows Azure or the Microsoft Azure SQL database, if you like. So... There are a number of things that already work where we have a parity 
a symmetry between the services in the cloud and on-premises, but a lot of things do not yet work or are not yet available, if you like. So it is a version one. It sounds and it looks like a version one, uh, especially if you try to install and to configure it. There is a lot of configuration steps in there and prerequisites, software version-wise. Um, so yeah, I think, as I said, it's the right step into the right direction and it may help to, to speed up the low process that Carl already talked about. Well, yeah, it's a step in the right direction anyway. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to send Congress a message for free because the NSA is listening. <laughs> 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 it's Say time. whatever you like. They're going to hear it. They're going to hear it. They may not understand it, but they're going to hear it. It's time to nice. give away a Component One Studio Enterprise to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but uh, let me tell you about uh, Component One Studio Enterprise. This is .NET controls for professional developers. Whether you're building the most modern touch-enabled apps for maintaining and updating legacy applications, their flagship product, Studio Enterprise, helps to deliver rich, responsive desktop and web apps on time and under budget. Awesome. So who's our winner, buddy? Today's winner is Ross Gerad. Congratulations, Ross. Golf Congratulations. clap for you, sir. And uh, he just won the Component One Studio Enterprise Collection. This is a, a big collection from Component One. Longtime supporters of uh, .NET Rocks back when they were active reports. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Data Dynamics. Wow, data the Dynamics, guys. the old, old time. Old time, then Grape City, and then Component One. Uh, so anyway, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we give away sponsor stuff. Well, just about every show anyway. And um, every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology, custom-made for you to one lucky member, drawn at random every year. Woo. And uh We've done it twice. Yeah. Christian, if you had yep. five thousand dollars to spend on technology today, what would you buy? I think you know the answer. <laughs> beer. No. <laughs> beer uh, beer making technology. No, 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 no. So I guess if I had five thousand dollars available today, I would not Azure buy credits. anything. No, I would not buy anything. No. I would just um, save it. Yeah. Because today, I think software or hardware-wise, we have everything we want and we need, especially uh, the people who are doing research and development in an active fashion as we guys do. Yeah. I think uh, there is nothing for me currently um, to buy what yeah. would make sense to have. That is a very thoughtful answer. We have had in in huh. the category of thoughtful answers, we have had I would give it to a charity okay. or I would buy a pile of raspberry pies and hand them out to the kids at my school. Yeah. You know? Other other kinds of charitable things. But uh yeah, saving money. Yeah, that's that's We don't need more stuff. Don't need more stuff. That's that's it. We don't need more stuff. We need better or more appropriate stuff. And that always depends on the actual situation we're like, talking about. I like Jonathan Zuck's answer. I would. I need more time. I don't need money. He said I would buy a personal <laughs> assistant to free up yes, my time. Yes, but I cannot buy time, right? Well, he said he, would, really. he said he would hire a personal assistant so he could free up more personal time. Okay, okay. Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting. All right. Uh, I want to dive back into the Azure pack here just because there's, you know, you're, you're saying there's things it'll do, things it won't do. Can we sort of work through some scenarios of stuff it'll definitely do that's Azure-like on-premise? What about, like, scalable websites? Yes, that's possible. So the Windows Azure websites, or it's actually called Microsoft Azure, right? Uh, so the websites right. feature is in the in the pack. And you can use it on premises. 
I have been working with a local um, beta testing company here in Germany, and they offered me a free access to to the management portal. And it just looks like the big Azure portal. And of course, you don't have zillions of services on the left-hand side to choose from, but you have something like four or five services, including the Windows Azure websites. And that works nice. nice. Yeah. But of course, so that is one part that works. But if you go to the to the real Azure portal and you create a new website, you have the ability to also create a SQL Azure database for it, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And of course, you don't have that option with the Azure Pack because you don't have a, well, database as a service offering inside of the Azure Pack. You just have to make sure that you have a SQL server or a MySQL just available to use it inside of your Windows Azure website. So that is one of the points where you are not having or experiencing um, the same great level of experience which you do inside of the cloud. But you do have this ability to say, all right, well, here's a website now, spread it across four VMs or eight VMs, and it'll, it'll yes. do that for you. So, mm. so I think do, the How does it do the load balancing? Uh, the last time I looked into it, well, so I did never actually install or use it, right? I only used it as a local customer to local German small ISP. So I'm right. not sure how they are handling it internally to do the load balancing. And I think the recent version that I have worked with um, has a limit on how many nodes um, you actually can have when scaling out. I'm not sure it's okay. 8 or 10. Well, you know what? 10 VMs for websites is a lot. You can make a pretty robust website with 10 VMs. Yeah, but it's not necessarily a VM, right? Because Windows Azure Websites has different scaling models, and it could just be something like a web garden running inside of IIS right. on one machine, right? So it depends on the actual scalability mode. Interesting. So, you know, I always presume that everything under the hood is virtual machines. No. No. It's not... But and, it, and of course, you've got virtual machine management as well. It doesn't have to be websites. It could be any kind of VM based yeah. on basically any template. Yeah, but if we talk about um, Windows Azure websites, you have different, well, quality levels and scalability or um, scaling levels. And it does right. not necessarily mean that you always have. So, for example, in the free tier, you usually do not get a VM on your own, right? And in the shared tier, right. well, it's called shared, right? You are sharing a VM instance with others. Hmm. So we have different levels of, um, well, of isolation, different levels of availability, different levels of data security, and different, different levels of scalability. And we can just um, switch between them through the Azure portal. I wonder, if, if mo I wonder if most people even care about that. You know, do I care if I'm sharing resources with somebody else that's from a security standpoint? Well, Doesn't Microsoft you, sort of shield us from all of that? Yeah, well, and that brings us back to the initial discussions, right? Um, if I'm a big customer, I want to be sure that I have one VM shielded through a virtual network, mm. which is only available to me, period. Mm. And no data sharing, no data privacy issues, and so on. You don't want e even in, in the same memory space, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So the good thing is that Azure Websites actually offers the different kinds of levels, right. uh, of course, um, together with a different pricing model, so that if you can afford it and if you want to afford it, you can have the full-blown stuff and if you want to have free or shared features well you pay less and that's okay and that's fine freedom of choice mm. yeah it, it, it gives us flexibility there the, uh, to your point carl i think you got this interesting problem of you're not going to know if there's actually a security risk here until something happens you know the the uh, shared model it's it's not like you see the other guy they're they're invisible 
It's just that presumably there's some potential risk. It's just a question of, you know, what is that risk really? And how would you ever know if you ever hit it? It's, it's knowing what you don't know. So if we imagine somebody attacking Windows Azure websites, it's surely a lot of more work uh, to attack two different VMs running in different virtual networks than it is to attack uh, two worker processes running on the same IIS on one VM, right? Right. There you go. But it's still, you need to have an attacker and he has to be sophisticated enough to make an attack. Of course. I can tell you okay. those guys are out there and those attacks are happening <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, all you got to do is just start watching your traffic. You turn on a sniffer and as soon as you go live, you'll see it. Yeah, they're always out there. You mentioned service bus as well. Yeah. So, for example, um, the messaging, the brokered messaging features from the Azure service bus, they are available in the Windows Azure pack. The relay, nice. the original idea of the service bus several years ago, um, is not available through the Azure pack. So hmm. if you have already existing applications running through Windows Azure uh, that use the WCF-based relay bindings, you cannot use this easily uh, based on the Azure pack. If you have brokered messaging integration already, which uses, for example, the queues or the public and subscribe um, features from Windows Azure service pack, you can easily use that with the Azure pack on-premises. So here, cool. we do not have a 100% uh, symmetry between the cloud and local installations. And it sounds like it's the it's the more legacy features of the service bus that have been implemented. The new stuff has, some of the old stuff hasn't. So I guess it's maybe not legacy versus new, but uh, what people have been asking for to the product teams, maybe. Okay. And so it's just a priority list, really. Hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, it occurs to me, I, I totally get why this product was originally thought they would get they would sell it to just ISPs. Because it, it's mostly about the portal side of things, about being able to provision stuff. But that sort of speaks to me, you know, when I throw my IT hat on, as this would be a set of tools to allow my developers to stand up a test environment for, yes. you know, the latest version of the app and then tear it back down again without having to talk to ops at all. Exactly. Yeah. Not that that's trivial to set up. There's about, you know, be a bunch of automation and work around that. But if I'm going to this sort of continuous deployment model where every time we do a build, it's, it should be able to stand up a bunch of uh, instances of the website and run a huge raft of tests on it really quickly. This seems like a pretty cool set of tools to, to give you self service for that. Yeah. Well, the issue is, we have been talking to various uh, teams inside of Microsoft for years now to provide a parity between the cloud and on-premises, but it's also a process that takes time, right? Microsoft is investing mm -hmm. a lot, I guess, in order to fulfill this idea and this vision, but we're just not yet there. Right. Hmm. So, I mean, like I said, it's still a V1, but I would think you'd want to show this to your ops guy and say, hey, you know how I keep bugging you for all those VMs to do testing? Here's a way to automate this so I don't have to bug you anymore. That could be one choice, yeah? One possible idea. <laughs> so what does the perfect future look like for you in terms of Azure? Oh, the perfect future Absolutely. in terms of Azure. And your if wish we, list. Yeah, so... Um, Technically, I guess there is not a lot for me to wish. Um, it would be great if we, which means <laughs> the EU and the US uh, could solve all those legal issues and the gray zone, right? Where a lot of people just do not know what uh, is going on or what is allowed and what is not allowed. Mm. And once we have sorted that out, I think it it is quite easy to convince uh, CXO level guys as well as developers that this is just, well, 
the most easiest and also the most cost-effective way to develop and to deploy and to run software. And it's very important for us or for me personally or for us as a company, what we've been doing for the past 16 to 17 years is building distributed application right. architectures, right? right? So that means we always have a server or servers and it was always a pain in the neck to uh, deploy it, to version it, to scale it, to monitor it, and so on and so forth. And this is so easy today with Azure. It's just incredible, as I said. So from a, a consulting and a software architecture point of view, everything is perfect. So we but never, we never, uh, never really thought that someday we'd have all the technology we want and that it'd be the government, that it'd be the sticking block. Right, right. So the first time I looked into Azure was 2008 at PDC. So that's now six years ago. So let's take another, I don't know, four to six years, and maybe or hopefully all the legal issues are solved as well. And that makes sense. It's just 10 years then after the first, uh, after it first showed up. Yeah, it's interesting how it's derailed things, you know, just, uh, I, I wonder if it's just going to die down, like people are going to let, you know, if, if if Edward Snowden stops doing press releases and, and things quiet down a bit, I mean, the reality is, we've been spying on each other since the Cold War, it's just very, very obvious right now, when it's not so obvious, will folks relax a bit, and then business will continue apace. So as I said, it's not just or especially about the NSA, it's about the legal law situation between the EU and Germany, Germany and the EU, and the EU and the US. So, and this needs to be right. solved. Whether there is an NSA spying on us or not, that's a totally uh, different topic on top. Do you feel uh, confident when you use encryption in SSL, let's say, that, you know, open SSL, that, what, that, you know, that whole hackable or hacked uh, protocol didn't affect Azure because they didn't embrace it. But do you feel confident when you're sending encrypted data, an encrypted data across the internet through Azure that um, that your your data is isn't being snooped, or do you well, always do, feel? Well, you know, I do feel as confident as I can feel based on the mathematical algorithms, right? <laughs> yeah. So. I cannot do anything against it uh, because sure. it's just a matter of fact. Do you, do you ever think about rolling your own? No. no. Well, and this would not be my primary uh, area of research, right? Uh, we have friends and colleagues like Mr. Bayer or mm -hmm. Mr. Brock Allen who would be more prominent to chime in. But uh, on that level, I never thought about rolling my own stuff. I didn't, no. and I didn't mean, you know, using your own encryption algorithms. I mean, there are lots of encryption providers built into the .NET framework that you could use, for example. But I'm, I mean, I come the end of the day, it comes down to what do you trust more, you know? Yeah. So one thing is to have an encryption communication path or communication protocol like SSL over HTTP. Another thing is you always can optionally um, encrypt the data that you are sending over the communication path, right? Whether sure. that's SSL or not. And if you uh, feel the need to additionally encrypt it, especially if you are using the cloud, then go for it. But then, of course, we talk about other issues like key management and who saves the keys and so on and so forth. Do you do ever have projects where your uh, customers demand that extra level of encryption? Yeah, so we had one proof of concept where we did use um, Windows Azure and the Windows Azure service bus together with the relay service. And there the customer said that we need to encrypt in addition the data that is going over the wire. Even though it was SSL? Yes. Yeah. Because that didn't help a lot because the SSL uh, connection is terminating at the Microsoft load balancers, okay. right? So inside of the cloud nodes, uh, the data is unencrypted. So they wanted to have it encrypted end to end. Got it. 
Yeah, the whole end-to-end thing is an interesting debate. I ran into this with some banking-related work I was doing where, same point, the SSL termination was at the edge. Yeah. But going into the into the individual servers, it was decrypted packets. And you, we, we started arguing over whether or not it should be encrypted within a given process or when you do inter-process calls, should it re-encrypt? It gets really ugly after a while. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. one little note here. If it, folks want to get on the Windows Azure Pack bandwagon here, I've included a link for, for the show notes. Uh, what do you need to have to run Windows Azure Pack? Are there, is it just Windows Server or do you have to have System Center? What else? Oh, you're not asking me, right? Because there is an entire page talking about the prerequisites. <laughs> Uh, it includes SQL Server, it includes uh, special versions of .NET Framework as a minor prerequisite, and so on and so forth. I, I guess it's quite an impressive list that you need to have and that you need to install. Yeah, it is a, it is a non-trivial install. You're not just going to pop this onto your development machine. Yeah, yep, exactly. Okay, so this is, a, this is a conversation to have with your ops guys. To say, all right, well, this would give us self-service. This will give us the ability to do some of this elasticity. So it's a conversation with ops and development together to try and put this together. Right. Well, that's not a bad thing. It's a good conversation to have, especially if it makes stuff better overall. One of the other things I noticed in this Azure pack is that it actually includes uh, infrastructure for doing billing and things. And as an ops guy... You know, we're often pushed to say, can you assign some of your costs to specific projects? So it sure looks like the Azure uh, pack opens up the door to have some tools to help you do assigned costing. So not that I think developers care about that per se, but when you're talking to your operations guys about why they want to install this, I'd bring that up because I bet they'd be pretty excited about it. Okay. Yeah. Christian, what do you guys think techs are doing these days? So now we have talked about what we are not doing or no longer doing, like the Windows Azure stuff over here in um, Germany. But what we are doing is actually, of course, we use Windows, uh, we use Windows Azure where it makes sense and where we are allowed to use it as right. a well deployment platform. Because what we usually do with our customers and our customer base is split uh, into ISVs into enterprise customer and also a little bit of government work here, here. And what we usually do is we build um, end-to-end solution for cross-platform and cross-device client applications. Yeah. So in the back end, we are still all about .NET, .NET rocks, right? Absolutely. So on the server side, and especially now with TechEd US, Richard, I think you will hear and we all will hear some news about what will happen on the server side as well when it comes to yeah for sure the new reincarnation of net on the server side right so on the server uh we do asp.net mvc asp.net web api signal r database access via entity framework or just plain database access database backend service usually um is SQL Server, but on the client side, we have a variety of platforms to support, like Windows, classic Windows, Windows 8, store applications, um, a little bit of Windows Phone, a lot of Android and a lot of iOS, and a little bit of BlackBerry maybe. And one platform, which is usually the opener into new projects, which is the browser. Mm -hmm. So people walk up to us and say, hey, look, we have been doing Windows software for the past 10 to 15 years. We have a cash cow that is running inside of Microsoft Access. We know everything about VBA. We know everything about OC Access. We know everything about VB6. But please bring us, get us into the browser. So that's how people walk up to us. And right. then you have a lot of work to do talking about application architectures, slicing functionality into uh, slicing functionality into services and web APIs, doing the communication patterns like request and response and push style 
communication and then build signal R, man. Yeah. And then build a client application that runs in the browser, that runs on iOS, that runs on Android, that runs on Windows, that runs on everything. And, and are you guys doing all this just in plain old HTML JavaScript? Or are you using any tools like, you know, Telerix platform or, uh, you know, for the HTML stuff? Or are you yeah. making hybrid apps? Yeah. So we build hybrid apps as well as plain browser apps. Mm -hmm. But it is always HTML5, CSS3, and AngularJS. Angular, yeah. Right? Nice. And, Angular. and then, yes. And you know, Christian, we did a show with you back in March of 2010, you and, and Dominic talking about uh, Monotouch, you know, way no, before I, anybody else. I think even before they were called Xamarin, you guys were I using think, this technology. I think it wasn't Dominic. I think it was Ingo. Yeah, it was Ingo. Oh, Ingo. Yeah, you're right. It was Ingo and me. And yes, um, we have been investing quite a bit of time and also did some uh, projects with our clients based on Monotouch and Monofodroid, as it was called by uh, back then. And yeah, Xamarin is, of course, still an option. But Xamarin is not an option if the clients walk up to you and say, hey, we want to be in the browser, right? Sure. Right. So right. Um, that's the reason why we usually start with HTML5 and JavaScript. And if we talk about a JavaScript client-side framework, we we always use AngularJS. And the nice thing is, coming back to your question, Carl, um, a lot of the big vendors like Infratistics, Telerik, DevExpress, and all the others, they are now starting to provide integration libraries and integration packs uh, for Angular JS, so that yep. you can use their existing products like the data grids and uh, I don't know the other chart libraries, just with a finger snip and just use it inside of your Angular JS based applications Good as stuff. well. Good stuff. Christian, thank you so much for talking to us this hour. It's always an education and a pleasure. Thank you, guys. And the next time we come to your town, we'll uh, watch you drink the beer and you can we'll, we'll have a whiskey because man oh, no, you, can, you can put no it away whiskey. no whiskey no 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 <laughs> <laughs> alright my friend thank you thank you guys alright we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band.